Hello and welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hi Simon. Hey Simon. Uh, today's episode we will be looking at the 1992 uh, Spike Lee film Malcolm X and joining us for this episode is writer and friend of the podcast Moises. Thanks for joining us today Moises. Hi Simon, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Adapted from the 1965 autobiography by Malcolm X and Alex Haley, the film is a three-hour epic that stars Denzel Washington and tells the story of young Malcolm Little from his early childhood in rural Michigan and his teenage years in Boston as a small-time criminal to his time in prison, finding the Nation of Islam and changing his name to Malcolm X, and then his later life as he became estranged from the Nation of Islam and then finally his assassination. Do you know where you came from? What's your name? Malcolm Little. No. That's the name of the slave masters who own your family. You don't even know who you are. Who are you? Say, Roseland. Roseland. He was a pusher, a hustler, a thief. You ready to tackle the streets? Yeah, I'm ready. Let him come. Respected, convicted. State your number, little. I forgot. In a dream that's divine. He was a prisoner who set himself free. A Muslim must be strikingly upright. I will not touch the white man's drugs, his liquor, his women, so that those in the darkness can see the power of the light. I will not lie, cheat, or steal. I believe you will remain faithful. Yes. He was a follower who became a leader. You're not an American. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. He brought honor to disobedience. I suggest you look outside that window. You've been laying down and bowing down for 400 years. I think it's time to stand up. All right, break it up. You got what you wanted. Now. I'm not satisfied. That's too much power for one man to have. And a voice to a people who long to be heard. You're saying you're anti-white. No, you're saying I'm anti-white. I'm sorry, Betty. I haven't been the best husband. Do you advocate violence? No, sir. Denzel Washington's most electrifying performance. Director Spike Lee's most powerful film. Can we all live together? I sincerely hope so. Um, I'd like to start just by getting some initial thoughts from each of you on the film and kind of thoughts on, on watching it in 2020 in today's climate. Toby, can you go first on that um, yeah, I mean, I I thought that the film was really, really good. It, it's sort of like um, 
a redemption story, sort of uh, like it's biblical, like the uh, Saul who becomes Paul, like uh, Malcolm starts off as a sort of uh, almost like a pimp, like a hustler, you know, mm. like he was, he's, he's cool. It's almost like a 1970s, like black exploitation movie, really. He's wearing all these zoot suits. <laughs> uh, he's chilling with all these like mob guys. It's, it's, it's a really cool and fun. And I think that's why um, Spike Lee started the film with him, his character is Shorty and um, Malcolm X, almost like doing a little dance. Yep as they were walking into it, like this is a guy who like he lived in a difficult time um, where he was um, really very, he had very low social status as a black man in that period, even though he's a very talented individual, but he also, he also loved life in some ways, you know, like he lived a life even in these dark times in these, um, you know, walk, walk, walking around with a lot of degenerates and a lot of criminals, like he enjoyed it. And the film makes you feel like he did and makes you almost feel like he was like a, almost like a fictional mob type character. And mm-hmm. then, but the, the redemption arc takes place and he, you know, and he goes to prison uh, he meets a um, uh, guy, Baines, and then he has this great conversion. And a lot of the things that he'd been feeling about his relationship to white people, relationship to society broadly, sort of comes out in those talks with Baines. And he start, he gains a consciousness about the, his, the society and how he's living and, and what he's feeling and becomes this guy, Malcolm X, that we, that we know. And I think, I think the film does really well because there's there's it's several films really it's it's a there's a mob element in here that starts at the beginning there's a uh almost like a, a like old southern racial movie that's at the big that's also at the beginning of this as well with his the scenes with his parents and the suffering that they go through and then there's the the redemption part which is him as a civil rights hero and 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 as a filmmaker, um, Spike Lee really has to do a lot of different things and work with a lot of different themes and a lot of different beats. And I think he does that spectacularly. And I think I agree with Roger Ebert. Like it's one of the great film biographies, uh, definitely. Uh, Moses, your, your thoughts on the film? Yeah, just to add to what Toby said, I, I feel the exact same way about the film. It is more like more or less three movies in one. And I think um, Spike Lee has like a great melting pot of information to work with like as far as like Malcolm X's character especially from the beginning that aspects where he's starting out with his family and his backstory about the lynching because that that lynching actually did take place it's, it's not as accurate in the movie but I think that the way they play it is really well and I feel like each all three parts have a backstory within them so like the backstory to his to the first part is more of it touches on his father's murder and how his father was um beaten up and abused by a racist and that's that's like sort of like a running theme. You kind of see it like he has like those, those vivid flashbacks in the first part of the movie. And I think that he done quite a good job of like merging that into the film. I think um, how Malcolm, how, how Spike Lee um, involves and makes himself, a, like writes himself into the movie is really good as well. Like playing Shorty, I think he did a really good job of like playing that character. It shows a good portrayal, like brings out more of like Malcolm's vibrant side as well. Like, and um even the uh, part with Baines when he meets him in the prison, I think that they did really well. They, they did really well to 
show like a disparity disparity between the nation of Islam, what Baines was trying was trying to introduce Malcolm X to, and Islam itself, which was what like more of like um what Malcolm X began to, began to uh follow as he decided to come into himself a bit more. And I think like those were like quite clear in the movie. And I think that's a very tough it was a very tough thing for Spike Lee to do and I think he did it really well. Mm. Von, Von your kind of overall initial thoughts on, on the film? Yeah, no, I agree um with both of you. It, I really enjoyed the film. Um I had seen scenes of it before uh but this is the first time that I've watched it fully through. And just the breadth of it kind of shocked me because I didn't realize how much more to the film there was apart from the um, kind of famous speeches that he's giving for like a good 40 minute stretch of the film, um, which is just beautifully done of him giving speeches on street corners and gradually moving towards lecture halls and at universities and how he comes up um, in his public speaking kind of career through all of this. Um, but for the first like hour and 15 minutes, it's, it's all of his younger life before he even gets to being introduced to Islam. Um, and it's like, that was just so fascinating to me because that's something that I just didn't know about Malcolm X and doing a little digging, um, around that. Like I, I had known that he had this kind of conversion experience um like Toby was saying like almost biblical almost like like Saint Augustine um going from this kind of more depraved way of life to a very religious and devout life um and it was interesting that for an hour and 15 minutes you're watching this this biopic about someone who isn't at all the icon that you know but it's done so well to just set up how juxtaposed his life was in his later years. Um, I thought it was expertly done. And I think my favorite part of the film was, was his conversion experience in the prison, which is probably the least historical part of the film, but I really liked it. It was, it was very like Shawshank Redemption kind of vibes to it. And it was, I just really enjoyed that part. Um, overall though, loved it, thought it was fantastic. Denzel's incredible, Spike Lee is incredible. How'd you feel about it, Simon? I had never seen the film before. Um, so I watched this a couple of weeks ago with my wife. And uh, so we were in the same boat. We'd never seen the film before. We, I knew about Malcolm X in kind of broader terms and kind of some of the touchstones of his life, but I didn't know some of the specific details that the film gets into. And I love the film. It took two sittings to get through because it's three and a half hours long. So we, I think we watched it like a Friday night and a Saturday night or something like that. But I kind of just agree with, with, with the sentiment of, of you all that I think what strikes me when I watch the film was just the breadth of it and this sort of this idea of a biblical epic I, I think is quite a nice way of putting it because one of the things that, that struck me is I've watched quite a lot of kind of different biographies over the years in, on film and you look at something like the Steve Jobs film which was telling the his story but through three product launches and that's very different you know taking three particular segments of someone's life and you compare that to something like Malcolm X which is just so much broader in scale you know trying to tell a story in three and a half hours of someone from you know when they're very young to their assassination and when they're in their 40s I think it was so you know actually trying to tell this 
breadth of story over such a long long kind of canvas that he's got i think today you'd be probably looking at like a netflix miniseries if you're wanting to do something like this mm-hmm. whereas back then you know i mean the kind of the economy of, of film as it were the economy of hollywood allowed um allowed a director like spike lee to actually make a three and a half hour epic and so just kind of delving back into kind of cinema as it was back in the early 90s where there was a more allowance for this type of film to be made it was it was although the film is often uneasy to watch it was kind of comforting to be kind of back in watching kind of classic cinema as it were and this feels kind of very much like classic mm-hmm. cinema it wasn't overly experimental the time frame doesn't jump around too much although as kind of pointed on that we do move about a little bit here and there you know showing a little bit of flashback but it, it's quite a traditional story in, in the way it's told and I think just kind of it was you know like if you ever go to a museum and you see like one of those giant paintings that basically take up a whole wall and you just you kind of just marvel at it it was a bit like that you know there was just so much to take in and you know as you say you know whether it's the preaching on the street corner or the stuff in prison or his earlier life when he's you know kind of the young hoodlum as it were and he's trying to get his hair straightened through various means of the, <laughs> uh, trying to get them conks yeah so like there's there's so much to take in and i'm sure i could probably watch the film again next week and just spot things that i'd, I'd miss first time around but i think mm-hmm. from a purely kind of cinematic point of view it was just nice to see a a really well-made kind of classical storytelling of a really important figure in a kind of classical sense and i yeah i i really enjoy the film and i think as it's kind of been touched on i think spike lee did a good job in being able to tell what's essentially you know three different stories as as it were um one thing i would like to touch on before we kind of go any further is just how and we've kind of already touched on already but how much of the film kind of relies on denzel washington to be this sort of reliable force that you can kind of believe as a young man in his teens i mean he's probably in his 30s or something when when he was filming this to an older man in his 40s and you know it is i think it's great credit obviously despite lee to make the film but i think with the wrong actor in that role i think you'd be looking at a very different film and i think you would have a harder time believing the transitions and i think there are different transitions in the film as you know we talked about you know, him going from a hoodlum to joining the Nation of Islam is obviously a bigger change in his kind of outward personality. But I think even later on in the film, as I think Moses touched on, this idea of him sort of beginning to transform a little bit more in his later life, where he's moving more towards like actual Islam rather than Nation of Islam. And you, you do begin to see that in his character and just the way he kind of holds himself and as a presence on screen. And I think I think for, for Denzel, I think it was an Oscar nomination, very well deserved. I think it's, yeah. it's an example of he has to carry a film pretty much, you know, for three, three and a half hours. And he does it, as, you, as you'd expect from Denzel, he does it perfectly. Um, I don't know if any of you guys got any specific thoughts on the Denzel performance. Didn't he lose to Al Pacino in Senate of a Woman? Like, oh. I've seen that movie. It's a bad movie. <laughs> like it's a good performance, but it's like hammy. It's he shouting. Well, that that's that's the classic. They're due an Oscar performance. I think that's the. Yeah. You know, this guy's been nominated six times before, and he's never won. We better give him one. Before and and wasn't it like the last black guy to win the Oscar was like Sidney Poitier or something like that? Probably for the and last. And they got the opportunity to give it to Denzel <laughs> for Malcolm X, and they gave it to Ooh Ah. <laughs> yeah, because um, 
that was been for best actor. You're right, which I think he did win a few years later for Training Day. But um, he'd won was it Glory? He'd won the best supporting for um, yeah yeah years before. But yes, as far as lead actor was concerned, you're right, Toby. I think there was a a bit of a wait there, and I think that that's an example of you know Hollywood will often give the Oscar to someone who their time is due, as it were, rather than necessarily for the, for, for the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a credit um, to, I think, as we've all touched on, that you do genuinely believe this character for the three and a half hours you're watching on screen, despite the various age transformations that he goes through. And yeah, just kind yeah. of like personality and mentality changes. He, yeah. he plays every iteration of Malcolm X so well that mm-hmm. it like you you feel like yes this is a natural progression for this character to be going through or for this man to be going through in real life and it's just it's expertly done definitely sorry toby what were you gonna say um yeah and and the the point you made about the um steve jobs movie like steve jobs was like i think he was like um a guy who he went to up to like a um, liberal arts college and studied like history and something. He was never like involved in like mm-hmm. um, tech or business at all. And, and then he got into like yoga and mysticism and stuff like that. Like you could, you could have explored that as a movie. <laughs> and it's like, it's a thing. Cause it was like, um, it was the sixties. It was um, like the hippie movement and stuff like you could have explored that. But I think they they might have left it out because they didn't really necessarily know what to do with it. But something like this is a is a real I don't know like it's it's almost like if Malcolm X didn't exist, um, he would just have to be written about. He's like yeah. the people in those uh, stories, like Job yeah. was mentioned or Paul. Like he's just it's amazing that he even exists and all the things that he did and the and the places he was. You know, he went from like running numbers and um, whores and all all that stuff to actually like speaking in front of Harvard, major conferences all over the world. It's just an, it's an amazing life story, and it's crazy that it even happens. And like, mm-hmm. and like I look at that like um, the autobiography of Malcolm X, and you read it, and it's like. Is he making all this shit up? Like, is this real? Is he really going through all of this stuff? Like, but he exists, and and yeah, I mean, um, I I I think that Spike had to do a lot in order to get all of this together. But he had a lot of great material to work with, and and as you said, like Denzel was, um, he was really really good good in the movie. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. Sorry, you got Moises. Oh, no, I was just gonna add to that and say, yeah, like I think he like that. I speak, I speak more for Denzel. He did a great job of like, cause all throughout all these other movies, all he's ever done is like play like the good guy roles, and I think that role probably challenged him the most because of the three different parts of Malcolm's life he had to play, and I think that he done uh, Malcolm like what touching what Paul was saying, uh, touching what sorry touching on what Toby was saying about Malcolm being more like a Saul sort of character, more like a Job. He shows a lot of zeal for um elijah muhammad and he's almost like an apostle for him in all his speeches mm-hmm. and i think for mark for, for denzel to come out and play that role that character so well especially like to portray that in speeches it's really tough to get get a grasp of someone that has so much love and affection for, for another person like in that way and to mm-hmm. portray it in that, that that well and in, in character 
what's it, it takes a lot and I think that in that we can hold Denzel in really high regard in that because that in glory he only have a, in glory in, other, in his other movies prior to Malcolm X he only had to play like a nice guy a good guy just like a supporting role but to actually come forward and play three different mm-hmm. aspects of one man's life is it takes a lot of uh, shows a lot of like his acting range Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he isn't just like a completely like nice guy like in, in the early part of the movie he's like you yeah, know, exactly. there's all these girls yeah. that he's in uh, that are into him but he's yeah. into like the the crazy white chick he's 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 <laughs> them on dates feeling starting fights and yeah. bars you know and, and like one of those fights like he would always say that he didn't like black people who were uppity especially back at, the, at that time um, because they were just such so low status, a lot of people who just had jobs of any kind were seen as like uh, sort of upper in the black community. And so, like, he would go into a bar and see a a, a guy who would look at him and say, "Oh, you're just so country," or like, you know, "Get out of here." And he would sort of fight, but that, but that wasn't really portrayed in the movie. Like the reason why he felt that way, it was just mm-hmm. like. Denzel had like a, a bad interaction and he just beat the guy up. He threw something in his face, which is crazy. As Moise says, is like he's not like he seems like uh, like a genuinely like on a personal level, despite the things that he's going through, like a bad guy. But he but Denzel can play that. He can play the conversion. He can play the saint as well. It's crazy. It's like it's, it's such a fantastic performance. Yeah, I think that was one of the, t- the things I-, I took from the film was how much of an ass he kind of is to begin with, or at least he, he can play up to be. You know, you have that scene where he breaks the bottle over the guy's head. You have, you know, the, the scene where he's uh, he's frightening the guy with the um, the, revol- the revolver gun and he doesn't know that the bullet's not in it. And, you know, it- it's that, just how he carries himself is kind of light years different from what you know the character Moise is talking about you know where he's he's this almost this uh, sort of uh, subservient to um Elijah Muhammad you know and he's the sort of apostle for him and i think the film would i think if the film d- didn't succeed in the scenes that we see in the prison i think we would maybe have a harder time believing that transformation between the two characters and i, I think that is you know we, we do have to genuinely believe that this is someone who you know, is acting out because, you know, they're lost or it is at least, you know, perceived that they are, you know, struggling with the, the kind of the, their relationship to the world. And, you know, we, we find out later on, you know, we have a flashback um, to when uh, he was in school and, you know, he's told that, you know, Malcolm, Malcolm Little as it was at the time was told, well, you're, you're a black kid. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You're going to have to learn to work with your hands. You know, that that's a good kind of job for you rather than trying to be a lawyer, despite the fact that, you know, he was the, the smartest kid in the class, as it were. And I think you begin, at least I sort of began to kind of understand the, the tapestry of this character a lot more, you know, as the kind of film went on and you, you begin, begin to realize just how, kind of lost that kind of initial impression of Malcolm was and you begin to understand why he was attracted to something that would offer him kind of solutions and um, kind of answers beyond the kind of uh, hedonistic uh, approach to the world that he'd been taking in, in his earlier years. Um, obviously, when we see him getting, so uh, kind of the, the turning point for him is when he goes to jail and he, go, he goes to jail because 
I think he was trying to rob places and I can't remember if it was, if it was banks or it was knocking over houses. I think it might be in houses. And he, it says in the voiceover that he gets like, he basically gets one year for, for robbery and seven years for kind of hanging around with white women. And, um, you know, we we begin to understand just how, how, how lost this Malcolm Little guy is to begin with. But at the same time, that is very much the life that's kind of afforded to him to some extent because mm-hmm. he is kind of beaten down by by these white figures be it police figures be it people in the classroom you know wherever it is who basically sort of denigrate this idea of what a black man or a black person can be and one of the things i took most from the film was this was a celebration of kind of black life and we we saw it in various points in the film i think there's a, a scene uh, where there's some street celebrations that are happening because I think a, a boxer won a famous victory or something like that. And we, we kind of see the, the streets and the celebrations. And, you know, throughout the film, we, we see this idea of black identity. And later on at the end of the film, you know, we have a, a voiceover from Nelson Mandela, you know, I think uh, reciting one of the famous speeches. And, and for me as, you know, a white person with a very comfortable life, I think that was one of the things I took from this film was, as you would expect from Spike, a Spike Lee film, or Spike Lee joint, as it were, you know, this was a celebration of what black life is and the the both the troubles and the kind of the grandeur of it. Um, Toby, I don't know, kind of your thoughts on th- this idea of black identity and how the film A portrays it and may- maybe also how the lens of that is maybe slightly different in 2020 as to what it was when the film was made. I think the movie is really interesting because it works for all the different groups um, who are who are even black or minority groups who feel left out society mm-hmm. and feel that they have to adapt to white society just to to fit in. Like um, Malcolm in the beginning, he like he's conking his hair so it can be like a, like a white guy. He sees uh, white women as um, the higher status than the black women that they're afforded to him in that time and the, and in his uh, the autobiography like he talks a lot about that even more than is uh, in the f- is in the film and I, and I do think that there's a sense in this movie and I think a lot of people will get the sense um, I think probably why people like Tanati Coates are attracted to movies like this is that this is a guy who could have been, as Simon says, he could be so much. He could have been a lawyer in a system that was was right and that that worked. But his whole um, ambitions in life are filtered through all, all of the little opportunities he gets um, where he lives. Um, his mom can't even keep hold of the the kids. Mm. They write them off. They send them to different homes. And they're not really treated as people. Their treat is almost invisible. He he used to say that he used to say nigger all the time. Like I wasn't even there. He felt invisible. And for a group of and and I think um it, because we did that episode on the Black Panthers and uh Huey P. Newton and people like that, they always they always felt the same way that he did, that that the you know, white women were higher status than the black women that they were afforded. It was almost like um, being able to get that was it was almost like being a human being in some way. That 
and um and and a lot of them were also very very intelligent they went to a university despite the restrictions um there and they felt the society did not give them the opportunities that they um deserved or um required and that life wasn't fair and this isn't even like a critique of like capitalism you know it's like it's not like a a super marxist critique it's a critique by people um who wanted to be just they just wanted to have all the opportunity they, they they can be afforded to them so the movie resonates with the wider black community um people who are in difficult precarious situations um financially but personally that you know like america should afford them more things but it also it it, it i think it's um appeals to a lot of like young ambitious people even some young ambitious people who think that society today affords them um much more opportunity than it did before like I, and I think it's probably why Spike Lee ran into problems with um, some like radical black groups who thought that he was just going to give it like sort of like a middle class overview in in his portrayal of of, of Malcolm X. I'm not sure necessarily that's that's how it worked out, but I think that's probably why this is this um, this area is so contentious. Vaughn, do you have any thoughts on kind of the, the earlier stages of his life? You know, we, we, we kind of see the stuff around like West Indian Archie and kind of the, the younger days. Did, how, how, did, how did you kind of respond to the, the, the earlier stuff? And, and I know you s- said that it was kind of maybe slightly kind of eye-opening for yourself. Did, did, you, did you kind of fully buy into the world that you were seeing there, which I'm guessing was, you know... <laughs> Uh, a bit different to the the Boston that you know uh, from your from your own life. Uh, yeah, it was a bit different from Boston, um, but firstly, nobody had accents. <laughs> but apart from that, um, no, I definitely bought into it. But it being something that was kind of different for me when thinking about Malcolm X like I did not know that this was part of the film when I started watching the film so to be kind of like immersed in this for an hour mm-hmm. I was viewing it as a film and not necessarily as a biopic mm-hmm. if that makes sense it felt like a very fictional kind of aspect which it's not it that is kind of the life that he led before what I would recognize as my Malcolm X or would have before I watched the film. Um, so in that part, it, it felt more fictional to me um, until I looked up the history of it. But I definitely understand why they included it, why Spike Lee chose to spend a full hour setting up the foundations of who this man is um, mm-hmm. and what kind of life he came from to show like I said, like the juxtaposition between how different his life was from his teenage years or even his childhood to his adulthood. But then Spike Lee being just incredible as he is, he brings it completely full circle at the end when uh, Malcolm X's house is is firebombed and juxtaposes that and uh, splices the scenes with 
his own childhood home being um, firebombed. And it's just like this beautiful kind of full circle view of how much has changed and also not, if that makes sense. Um, I thought it was just a really kind of interesting and beautiful juxtaposition that I think I appreciate more having finished the film. Like maybe about like two thirds through, I was like, why did we spend an hour doing that? But then when I finished the film, I was like, damn, that was really well done. Um, And also when about an hour and 15 minutes in, when he's talking to the Baines character, who is saying like, rethink everything in your life. Have you ever met a good white person? And they flip Mm -hmm. through all of these white characters that you've already seen. And it's like, literally none of them were actually good white people. Like, Yep. Like kind of force feeding you it. And I was like, oh shit, that is so well done. Like <laughs> it, I've really, I really enjoyed it. And and they weren't like like giant villains either. Like his, oh, yeah. his teacher was like, you know, I, I wanted to be a public school teacher. I like this black kid. He he could probably, instead of being a criminal, he could work with his hands. He could yeah. because that's what that's all that teacher knows that those that black people are allowed to do. And yep. so, like, he's just a product of that system, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, it's not like, oh, there's, like, a white savior or a white savior me, or some white guy is going to get Jesus or get morality and then start talking properly. It's like, that's the system that they lived in, you know? I think, for me, viewing it, going off of what you just said, Toby, viewing it as a white woman it was very easy for me to overlook some of the things from that first hour of the film that I wouldn't have had had personal resonance with. And then Spike Lee was like, fucking look at it. And I was like, oh my God, that makes so much more sense now. Because as I was watching it, I was like, that's pretty shitty of that person, but it didn't really, it wasn't a deep resonance for me until this kind of conversion experience in prison when the Baines character is like, actually rethink all of this. And he's not just telling Malcolm X he's telling the audience like what you just watched for an hour is fucked up and we need to talk about that and it, it would just I really it was well done for me I, I'd, I'd just like to say Sam um, yeah. touching on what Toby said uh, just on the question sorry mm-hmm. that is what Toby said another symbolism that Mal- uh, Spike Lee does so well that he uses that maybe a bit more subtle is um, the way he uses Malcolm X's hair journey throughout the movie mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, Hair in hair in like African cultures shows a journey, and the way that Spike Lee uses uh, Mac, because you start with the movie of uh, Malcolm X having his hair permed, yeah, and that's like the um, obviously coming out of the uh, I think the message you're trying to send there is that uh, culturally black people in, the, in those times wanted to that was their way of gaining a sense of whiteness, re- relaxing or perming their hair, and um, he starts with a journey like where there's a lot of focus on everyone around him and Malcolm himself perming his hair. And then um, you see, like, the last time that he permed his hair, he actually sticks his head down the toilet. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like, the last... And I think uh, Spike Lee was trying to send a clear message uh, symbolically to... That, I think that was, sim- sim- that was symb- symbolism for Spike Lee to send a message to Black people that they need to let go of that, um, how they view the world and the white gaze. And mm-hmm. then you see, like, as he goes into prison, his hair becomes a bit more unkempt, more, like, rough, ragged. He doesn't have any, any way of controlling, like, his hair growth. And then when he comes out, it shows like his vulnerability. He shows his vulnerability, and like, and he approaches Elijah Muhammad, and he cries, and he sort of like breaks himself down, and he breaks down his character, 
and he has his hair like really short cut like really cut really short and then towards the end of the movie when he goes and makes his um hajj over to um when he when he, when he goes in his hajj he begins to grow out his hair and then he's asked a question by the reporter are you going to keep the beard yeah. and then like he kind of responds like i'm going to let my beard just free form just grow like however i feel how i feel necessary and i feel, I feel like that's that that journey in itself shows that's how I think that's another way that Spike Lee showed um, his growth throughout. And I think those three stages of those uh, three hairstyles that you had mm-hmm. were also in some ways Spike Lee's way of showing us the three different stages of Malcolm's life. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, his identity really just really grows out, you know, from being confused to being himself. And I think yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's a really great point, Moise. Absolutely. Um, so we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to kind of maybe go a little bit more into the Elijah Muhammad and, and the Nation of Islam side of stuff. Um, it's obviously key to the film and, you know, we all bring our own kind of our own history and our own projections when it comes to kind of religious figures and, you know, um, larger societal figures and people who kind of become the representation of a movement, etc. Um I don't know who wants to go first on this, but I, I was just w- wanting kind of your guy. I've got my own impressions of, of how I, I saw the Elijah Muhammad character throughout the film and how the film kind of represents him. But I'd love to start. And Toby, do you want to go first on this one? Just I think, think of Elijah Muhammad um, in the because when back when I read the autobiography, um, it was a lot. I think Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm's um, family members were were in it much more than there are in the film. And mm-hmm. actually, one of Malcolm's brothers, Reginald, had got into Islam. In fact, a lot of his family got into Islam, and he had become a member of Elijah Muhammad's like group. But then he fell out of favor with Elijah Muhammad, and Elijah Muhammad had like done something to him. And then he had come back to Malcolm and, and, you know, talked about it and Malcolm didn't really believe it. So in the, in the autobiography, they really try to um, make you feel like Elijah Muhammad's a really more complex character from the beginning. But in this movie, and I I think I kind of like the way they did it in this movie because they really gave you the impression, especially in the, he's not, he's in the prison. Um, Denzel's in the prison, but Elijah Muhammad comes to him almost like a, a mm. specter, not, yes. not in his real state. He's reading um, letters from him and talking to him, but it's, his, it's, 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 you know, he's all, this is a real, almost like a religious figure, almost like an angel that comes it's out. It's like God in the burning bush kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. God in the burning bush. Like his, his whole worldview was transformed through his engagement with Elijah Muhammad and um, Spike Lee didn't want to try to sully Elijah Muhammad at all at the beginning of that mm-hmm. it's only towards the end that this, this figure takes on a sort of more multi-dimensional side he's obviously I mean Elijah Muhammad himself had also grew up in poverty had a difficult life and then he established himself as uh, a, a religious leader and someone who transformed the lives of um, a lot of people but then he's a multi-dimensional figure because muslims weren't allowed to actually have uh extramarital sex but he was having extramarital sex with secretaries and stuff 
Yeah, yeah, lots of women. Yeah, yeah, lots of them, and they were getting pregnant, and that's, and I and I also think that like Elijah Muhammad, in totality, can be seen as like oh you know on one side like he's a wonderful guy, and then another side he's kind of like a cult leader, really. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of my my kind of the way I was taking it, and as as I watched the film, you know, the initial impression is as you say, you know. Malcolm Little becomes Malcolm X. His character, his person, his life becomes improved by knowing this person. He becomes a quote-unquote better person as a result of this. You know, becomes a, a person who's trying to bring about social change and who's who's brought about personal change. And you know, there is kind of, as I see it, no no doubt that Malcolm's life has improved as a result of his connection with Elijah. On the other hand. The, the way it's framed, whether it's, I don't, don't know if it's consciously on Spike Lee's part, you know, one of the things we see is we see these rallies, I think it's in a, a big hall and there's there's like a, a massive picture of Elijah Muhammad kind of behind Malcolm X as he's speaking. And Elijah Muhammad is it's not quite a throne, but it's a really, really nice chair that he's kind of sitting on as other people kind of just sit in their, their normal chairs. And I did kind of get kind of cultish vibes from it. And I did kind of get a sense that yeah, this is kind of, you know, a religious movement or whatever, but it, it's kind of key that as Malcolm speaking uh, to begin with uh, until he kind of moves further away from this is he talks, whenever he talks, he says, you know, Elijah Muhammad tells us, or Elijah Muhammad teaches us, and he always introduces what he's saying with it's Elijah Muhammad who is kind of the prophet on all of this. You know, we, we can bring skepticism to religion, etc. as as we see fit, but I didn't know much about Elijah Muhammad as a character. I didn't know anything about the, the affairs with the secretaries, etc. And so for myself, when later on in the film, when that is kind of revealed and we kind of see that Malcolm X is kind of brought down by this idea that Elijah Muhammad is kind of human and he is off sin and he is off, you know, he is guilty of making some of the mistakes that we see other religious figures who have made throughout history, you know, as far as, you know, having affairs with women or whatever the case may be. And later on in the film, I think Elijah Muhammad kind of tries to rationalize his actions by talking about, you know, how he needs to get a seat out there because he's like, you know, this, this figure who, who should live on as it were. And I couldn't quite tell within the performance because, you know, it's never actually said out loud how defeated Malcolm was by this kind of response and by this kind of dwindling of Elijah Muhammad as, as kind of a figure of hope and as a kind of leadership figure. But from my own kind of perspective on it, I, like I say, I understand and accept the kind of the, the religious conversion and the kind of improvement that he made towards Malcolm's life. But at the same time, he was still as flawed and as... Um, he failed as much as kind of any figure throughout history who's kind of, or a lot of figures throughout history are put in that position. I, I certainly didn't leave the film thinking Elijah Muhammad is the kind of the great and wonderful, as it were. I kind of saw him as sort of a bit of a charlatan. But um, I, Moises, I don't know. You kind of what, what were your thoughts on how the the character that character is portrayed and how how the film shows him? Um, I I, I like his portrayal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was yeah. quite. But I, I didn't think they went into much depth because uh, Elijah Muhammad's a bit more of a. He's a bit more of an intricate character in terms of like how mm-hmm. his uh, character is really flawed, but at the same time he's really revered. Mm-hmm. And I think they could have done a bit more to show that. But obviously they may have been like it may have just been a thing of like 
finding a way to portray that in the film yeah. itself. But yeah. that's that's something that they I feel like that's something they really missed out on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And as you say, Al Freeman Jr. is fantastic as as Elijah Muhammad. I think that's a really good point to make. That uh, it's, a, it's a great performance. Sorry, Vaughn, what you were saying. Oh, you're grand. Um, one thing that that I just thought of as you were uh, speaking, Simon, is the the kind of downfall for Malcolm um, after he finally accepts like maybe Elijah Muhammad is not the person that I thought he was. Um, there are two scenes that I think are really kind of important in that idea. So the first is when he is in prison and Baines, um, who real quick, slight tangent, as, as Toby said, like in Malcolm X's life, his siblings were the ones who got him into Nation of Islam and brought Islam into his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bane's, the Bane's character doesn't exist in real life. So like Spike Lee rolled a lot of characters into Bane's um, being all of his siblings. And then later when Bane's is kind of more aligned with uh, Elijah Muhammad and yep. when they start to kind of splinter there were certain characters or certain people in the nation of Islam um, who were rolled into the Baines character. So that's, there was also a guy who was in prison who um, uh, Malcolm X came uh, across and he was like a guy who like talked. And when he talked, like even the white guards would like listen and other people mm-hmm. would like take uh stand to attention. And he was also like, he was interested in like reading and stuff, but he wasn't, uh, religious at all and yeah he brought him to to literature but not yeah, really yeah, yeah, religion yeah. at all yeah so the Baines character when in prison when he's telling him to pray for the first time and Malcolm X can't bring himself to physically kneel down and submit to um to to prayer to Allah Baines is like kind of goading him into it and trying to get him to do it and he just he refuses and he does not kneel to pray and he says that he can't submit and then later on um when after his remarks on jfk when elijah muhammad is saying you you can't say those things while you're representing us what what he says about jfk um is that he kind of had his assassination coming that the quote the chickens came home to roost um which is a fantastic line and also what Malcolm X said in reality. So what do I say about this national day of mourning, so-called national day of mourning? I say the white man's acts of violence should be condemned not only by our beliefs, but by his own. Now the Holy Quran teaches us that those who work evil will be condemned or punished or judged according to their works. The Holy Bible teaches us that you reap what you sow. This is divine justice. Well, in the soil of the Americas, the white man has planted the seeds of hatred. He's planted the seeds of violence. He's allowed those weeds to grow up and choke the lies out of millions of black men and women for the last 400 years. In fact, the lies of Indians in this Americas for the last 500 years. And now those same weeds have choked one of his own gardeners. In fact, his chief gardener. And you ask me what I say. I only say what the Bible says. I say what the Quran says. I say it's justice. Mr. X, don't you even feel a little bit of remorse? 
saddened by the President Kennedy's assassination? Well, sir, I don't think anybody here would deny that when you send uh, your chickens out in the morning from your barnyard, those chickens will return that evening to your barnyard, not your neighbor's barnyard. I think this is a prime example of the devil's chickens coming back home to roost. That the chickens that he sent out, the violence that he's perpetrated in other countries here and abroad, be it four children in Birmingham or Medgar Evers or Lumumbrove in Africa, I think this same violence has come back to claim one of their own. Now, being an old farm boy myself, chickens coming home to roost never made me sad. In this fact, it's only made me glad. But uh, Elijah Muhammad is saying, you, you can't say that stuff on our behalf. I'm silencing you for 90 days and you're not allowed to give any speeches in those 90 days. And Malcolm X or Denzel in that moment says, I submit to you fully. Mm. And that juxtaposition that he couldn't submit to the religion itself and the God himself in that moment when he was starting to convert. And then this scene where he has completely and fully submitted to Elijah Muhammad. I think that is a really poignant scene yeah. in setting up the downfall that maybe they didn't explore it enough in the downfall, but that for me was just so like, wow, he has completely converted and completely devoted himself to this man yeah. first and foremost. Yeah, and I remember that actually Elijah Muhammad used that those moments to like start telling people that Malcolm was, you know, trying to become the leader of the <laughs> the nation of Islam after he silenced him. I don't really think that the going out and saying the JFK sucks was a was such a big bad thing for them. They they they've been attacking like other um, f black freedom groups um like the groups that the um, mlk belong to they've been attacking american society like like um yeah i mean like um elijah muhammad was kind of like uh he wasn't like that he wasn't that loyal really and he just when someone seemed to be getting um a lot of press um he wasn't putting him in the newspapers in the Nation of Islam newspapers anymore, even though Malcolm is getting national, international news. And then a lot of Elijah Muhammad's people were kind of a little bit, you know, jealous or... Yeah, they, of, they saw it as Malcolm. he was promoting himself maybe more than the actual movement. Yeah, which is a difficult thing that these kind of movements get into. It was just like the thing with like uh, Louis Farrakhan, right? Like many people think that Louis Farrakhan, who's... Represents the nation of Islam has representation of Islam since is actually um, like he's the guy who attempted to kill Malcolm X and there's many different theories about that. I think like it's it's such a sad thing with movements uh, like this that the egos of these guys get so big and they forget about the the the, the final outcome for a society and this just becomes like how can they better express their their own egos i think it's like really telling where you have uh, elijah muhammad sitting down and you have a giant poster of elijah muhammad and everyone's declaring elijah muhammad's great elijah muhammad's great and it's not, like he's not even a guy who who was known for being a great orator like he couldn't do the speeches that malcolm was doing mm -hmm. and it's yeah and it's and and, it, and you it, you really get the sense um to an extent in the movie and and from what i know about their relationship that like people just got jealous of 
of Malcolm, you know. It's just, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's kind of yeah, it's, it's annoying really because he seems like uh he was really genuine. At least he's portrayed as being really genuine in those moments. I mean, yeah. one of the things that happened in the voiceover, I think, you know, Denzel as as Malcolm X does say he would like he was prepared to lay down his life for Elijah Muhammad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really did get that that sense as we've kind of talked about before, you know, he was a, a guy who, as Vaughn said, at one point he wasn't able to kind of kneel down and speak to God and now he's totally submitting to Elijah Muhammad. Um before we kind of move on to the his kind of transition away from from the nation of Islam, uh, Vaughn, can I just get your kind of thoughts on kind of the, the An- Angela Bassett character and uh, who kind of plays his, his, his love interest, who later becomes his, his wife, and the kind of the, the the approaches that the nation of Islam kind of has towards the female characters. You know, you talk about you can only marry a woman of a certain height and you know certain age relationship to the man and that kind of thing. Do do you felt do you feel Andrea Bass's character kind of got enough time, as it were? She obviously does great with what she's given, but do, do you think do you think there's kind of enough time in the film for her? Well, first and for, foremost, I think Angela Bassett is perfect in every single way. <laughs> she's incredibly gorgeous and a wonderful actress, so no amount of time is enough time for Angela Bassett. Um, but uh, in terms of the kind of ideology around women um, in the movement, uh, it is it is kind of like put forth um, in this scene that is spliced between um, Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad talking through these kind of ideas, showing that Malcolm X's ideas on marriage and women and um, all of that comes directly from Elijah Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's said that yeah, a, f- in order to marry a woman, she must be. Um, <laughs> the right height and the right complexion and the right um age being i believe they said half the age of a man plus half half plus seven i think it is half plus seven that's an interesting rule to have (laughs) i think um (laughs) and yeah there's there are very very strict rules about whom one can marry um, within the nation of Islam and I think she uses every minute of her character's screen time Angela Bassett does um, to really embody what is being put forth here yeah I'm trying to be very careful about this um, <laughs> I yeah it's it's a very interesting kind of relationship that has had there's a very interesting pickup line um, using Harriet Tubman um which is an uncomfortable choice for me um but also super smooth and on point in the film and their marriage is very supportive on her end um but when he starts getting the the death threats um and people calling the house and threatening her and their children and she has a kind of breakdown about it a couple times actually um I think that was where she really shined in showing this kind of undying loyalty to her husband and all of the beliefs that kind of are the foundations of their relationship within this religious order, um, while also just being a human. And she does an incredible job of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
I'd probably like to just move on to kind of the kind of the final part, as as it were. You know, we we talked earlier about the kind of the three sections of of his life. Um, Moises, did you have kind of any thoughts on how the film portrays his transformation into the or his movement towards, you know, Islam? And we see him, you know, making the pilgrimage to Mecca, and we see the, yeah. I think it's, it's the CIA agents who are kind of following him and that, that kind of thing. Have Have you got any kind of uh, thoughts on on that character as it's portrayed in the film? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, for me, his transform, his transition, and the end of the movie, like, for me, it kind of starts from the moment he leaves prison. Actually, meets Elijah Muhammad mm-hmm. for the first time. For me, that's the most important scene in the movie because the first time we see him show a real vulnerability when he sees yep. Mike, Elijah Muhammad the first time and then breaks down and actually cries, uh, like, and he's because he's, he's he's in he's in so much awe of this man, yeah. and he just believes in him so much, and then it kind of culminates into his own self-belief and it, you see like him growing to himself from that point onwards. And I think like the next part after that, that I felt was really tough, the, that stand out for me is, is when he makes pilgrimage to, when he makes his Hajj and he gives the speech and he's given the various speeches and he's speaking and they start showing actual, uh, they start showing footage of um, speeches side by side with uh, Den- Denzel giving the speech in the movie. And I think that, uh, the way that he played those the the role the the role in that that stage of the movie was almost true to life, mm-hmm. especially when Denzel you you all start to believe the speeches that Denzel was giving in the movie as if they were Malcolm X's own speeches, and yeah, that's just what, yeah, yeah. It was almost like um, the Malcolm X we know. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't actually know where he came from, and we we're just seeing someone grow into. That into being that Malcolm X, and that, and I guess it was that speech when he was talking about um, making claims for African Americans at the UN because you know America goes around uh, talking about peace, but it can't sort out its race problem. Like mm. they, he's he's almost like Denzel has to te- go through the process of becoming Malcolm X, and then Malcolm X. Hmm. House to go through the process of becoming Malcolm X as well. Yeah, I think that's that's a really great insight. Absolutely, and I think one of the interesting things the film talks about is, and the characters talk about, is this idea of kind of transitioning back to Africa. And this, and you know, to begin with, it's maybe hinted at more as a you know an actual physical movement back back to. Back to Africa, where they were they were torn out of, uh, as their or as their ancestors were torn torn from. But I think later on in the film, it suggested it's maybe more of a kind of mindset thing, or you know, a, a personal journey rather than necessarily an, an actual kind of uh, migration back to uh, back to the the kind of the homeland as it, as it were for, for these people. Toby, I don't, I don't know, kind of your thoughts on on that kind of idea and how it's brought up in the film, this idea of, you know, kind of going back to the, the land that, you know, was was taken from them and, you know, kind of trying to maybe rebuild Africa and, you know, at the same time trying to find themselves, you know, because the reason, the reason he has the X as the last name is because, as they say in the film, you know, we don't know what, we don't know what our last name was. It was taken from us. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, I think his father was actually a supporter of Marcus Garvey's mm, initiatives yep. of actually not, you know, integrating into American society at all, but like going to Africa and African-Americans going and building communities in, in, in Africa. And that sense of, you know, this is not 
my land. I should go and leave. I'm not an American, as he says in one of his speeches in the in the sort of third part of the movie. Is is I think you you get that sense, but then Spike Lee sort of leaves it on. You know, he's 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 not a Negro anymore. Negro is too small for him now. He's an Afro-American, and I'm not sure if Malcolm said that he might have. But there's this, and but then and towards the end, he's also like, um, you know, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like the, those are values that are American values. I mean, I'm an Afro-American. You know, maybe this separatist idea of going to Africa is not something that I'm, uh, I'm interested in anymore. But I feel like the real Malcolm X. He had much more radical views about, you know, white people being redeemed through observation of the religion of Islam, and I don't think that really comes out in the movie. I think there's a lot of like deeply foreign concepts, like the Marcus Garvey stuff from his father, like um, Islam, which he practiced and got more and more into. That are, that cannot be closed by the idea that he's an American and um, white people should be forgiven for what they've done. But then we're all Americans. I, I do think that idea of like leaving America and becoming something else entirely is not something that that Spike Lee deals with that well. It doesn't. He doesn't engage with Malcolm that much. But I think for, from Spike Lee's position. You know, he. I mean, he's just he's like Spike Lee. Spike Lee, like it's him. It's in the early nineties. It's Jordan. Like they're the symbols of black success in those communities. But they also have to be able to bring the sides together. Like you know, like we're these examples, but we're also Americans. And I don't think Spike engages with that enough. It's it's more of a sense that. These people are not being given the opportunities they they required in their society, and um, that they they need to be themselves. But the idea of leaving America or being something else, I don't think is explored that deeply. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair. I mean, they do touch, as you say, a little bit on this. You know, the conversations they have, and maybe kind of. I, I felt one of the things the film was was trying to hint at, as far as the change between maybe his kind of his initial conversion and then later on to his kind of uh, life closer to, to Islam itself is we hear in, in the kind of middle part of the film, you know, he kind of holds conversations about how he doesn't, he, he doesn't think, you know, that, that, uh, you know, white people are, um, are kind of able to do any kind of, um, are, are able to make any kind of, um, choices or making any decisions that are positive towards black people and you know later on in the film they, they, they talk about how or Malcolm X talks about he, how he's kind of more open to this idea of not judging like a whole slate of people and being more open to this idea of you know anyone from any background you know should be kind of judged on their own merits rather than necessarily judged on the kind of precondition of, of the kind of um, society that people before them have built so you, you've one of the images in Mecca is, you know, there are actually, you know, very white skinned, you know, almost like Scandinavian looking people um, 
next to uh, next to Malcolm as he he's as he's as he's at Mecca and he, as he's going through the the prayers. And I, I guess that was the the film's attempt to kind of show that that movement for um, for Malcolm. And I, I do wonder if maybe because I found that as a kind of not particularly religious person myself, I found that stuff really interesting. And just even just the visuals of, of the kind of scene Mecca, I thought was was fantastic in the film. I, I do wonder if there'd be a, you know, years from now, whether or not we'll, we'll see a, a more um, focused film on the kind of Islam side of, of things for, for Malcolm and not necessarily trying to tell this broad picture that we see in the Spike Lee film, but maybe center it more on this transformations kind of as he progresses his thoughts on Islam and his kind of movement away from Elijah Muhammad. Um, I think in my engagement with Malcolm as a person, I think I find that, as you say, like I agree with you towards the end, you know, there's that scene in the movie where he, that white girl who's like uh, comes up to him and she's wearing a beret. She's obviously like a college girl. And she's like, you know, I really believe in what you're saying. What can I do? And he says nothing. And she walks away. And I think actually what happened was she started crying and Malcolm actually liked that she was crying. <laughs> but, um, but towards the end, when he leaves the nation of Islam, he does like he does get closer to some white people who he feels that um, appreciate him and are open-minded and stuff. And that that's part of it, definitely. But I also think that the foreignness of wanting to leave America and, um, and Islam itself, yeah, I don't think are that explored. Yeah, and I think that's maybe one of the difficulties of trying to tell a huge story with huge interpersonal kind of change you know you are at times going to be kind of leaner on one aspect than you might be on others just because as you say you could probably make a six hour film on this rather than a three and a half hour film um i guess we should probably touch on um i mean we could touch on other, other things as well but i'd like to maybe just touch on the the actual assassination itself as it's portrayed in the film von you were watching this other day and you kind of messaged me as, as it was happening it's a very visual representation of of what the death is and you know as you know we, we see acts of violence throughout the film be it you know firebombing of houses or you know people his his father being basically uh, led to his death by being put in front of a was it a horse carriage or a train track whatever it was i can't remember um okay. spike lee doesn't kind of move away it doesn't kind of let the audience escape the the brutal nature of violence you know and um, I was wondering your thoughts on how, how the actual assassination plays out on, on screen. Um, yeah, no, it's it's visceral. Um, they make a point of saying your children are in the front row multiple times um, or, or kind of emphasizing that his children were there and his wife. Um, and it feels like a fairly intimate kind of ballroom speech in the film mm -hmm. but in reality there were like 400 people in attendance um and it it was a, a very very public affair that what had happened was someone um yelled out to cause a diversion and 
the security guards like went over to kind of calm down this diversion that was happening in the audience. And then um, one man walked up with a sawed off shotgun and shot him in the chest, which they show in the film. Um, all of that they show in the film. And then two other gunmen um, shoot semi-automatic handguns at him um, as it happened in, in real life too. And then one of the, the gunmen, um, was it Thomas Hagen? Was that his name? I think so, yeah. Um, he was in real life and in the film beaten by crowd members as he's trying to escape. Um, so it is it is visceral and they show all of it and they show him get shot multiple, multiple times. Um, they show his, his wife reacting to it in real time and his children reacting to it in real time. And you're just sitting there watching it. Um, and it is, it is visceral. One thing that I really thought was very beautiful about it um, was that Malcolm X Denzel looks the man with the sawed off shotgun right in the face and he like smiles a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's very apparent in the film that he does not feel right. And he kind of knows, he has like a premonition that this is going to happen when he goes to give this speech. Um, but he has kind of come to peace with it in the film that he is going to die one day doing this. Um, so when it happens, it happens. And I think that kind of cathartic moment happens in the film, which I don't know if that happened in real life. Um, if he was telling his staff just before the speech that he knew it was going to happen that day, um, but he had been telling people around him that the Nation of Islam was going was was attacking him, that they were threatening him, and they were publicly threatening him. Um, so he very well may have, but it was it was a visceral scene. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. they do kind of try, as you, you mentioned there. I think they do try and build up the sense of he kind of knows what's coming, as it were, and. Uh, one of I think one of the, the shots they actually have is they essentially sort of attach the camera to Denzel and you, you sort of feel the camera moving with Denzel as he's kind of making this kind of walk to where he's going to be giving the speech. And it, it, funnily enough, it's actually the, the, uh, Spike Lee actually uses a very similar shots in um, in the film he did about um, Inside Man, which is a completely different film, much more of a popcorn film. But again, he. he use a very similar shot trying to bring out this idea of this kind of lonely man kind of going through through a bit of a, a crisis as it were and obviously I mean going into the film although I didn't know all the details I I knew what was kind of coming I do, I do wonder if you were kind of showing this in a history class for instance you know whether or not what is shown visually on the screen and how the characters are represented and how Malcolm is represented in in those kind of moments before the the town hall meeting, I do wonder how much an audience going in blind to this film would actually kind of get get a sense. All oh, right, <laughs> something's about to go down, as it were. Um, Moises, I'm not not sure what your thoughts were on the kind of the actual assassination as it was shown on screen. Um, I think Spike Lee made a a clear point of of trying to make the assassination scene as accurate as possible, and. Mm -hmm. uh, I've read somewhere that he actually had a bit of an altercation of view, uh, viewing. He did at University of South Central, um, no, so University of Southern California, 
mm-hmm. where um, some of the students actually got up and were quite disgusted at the how violent the assassination scene was and the fact that it almost pointed all the blame at the um, nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like I was just reading on how like they, they there was quite an uproar uh, viewing the was the viewing came out quite. It was very, very, it was like very, pretty much right after the movie came out and he did the, he held a view in the uh, view in the USC. And I think at the same time, that was around the same time as they were coming off the back of the um, LA riots. Right. And it was a lot, that massive like uproar about how the scene focused on um, the Nation of Islam, actually have the gunmen actually coming from the Nation of Islam rather than the FBI. Yeah. And uh, how, yeah, how they just clearly portrayed the, the hailing of bullets raining down them and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I think that the FBI account of what happened is what is in the movie. Mm. And some people don't agree with that for, for mm. different reasons. And I think that's probably why at that uh, university people were unhappy. Um, and I think like it is like, I mean, there's that Fred Hampton movie that's coming out, which really is like, a, you know, the, 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 the police really did uh, kill fred hampton and and you know they they send in different spies and stuff like they sent in to the nation of islam but yeah it is difficult you know it's difficult for me as well because i kind of feel like like dude like these guys were all saying the same thing like why do they hate each other so much like this stuff with elijah muhammad so like it's not yeah it's not really that big of a deal and, and malcolm's kind of a saint like when he died in the movie i was like kind of tortured by it to be honest and i did feel bad that it was black people that did it just on that then what did you think of the sort of imagery of the film then that does present it as the fact that it was it was these black men who were the ones pulling the trigger and indeed killing malcolm x rather than the fbi alaikum. get your hand out of my pocket get your hand out of my pocket nigga I think I think uh it was it was more of, I think that was that was more of a it was more of a personal vendetta between, like, from what from what we're seeing in the movie, it's more of a personal vendetta between members of the Nation of Islam that felt like he was breaking away from their message, and uh, again, members of the FBI that felt like they needed him to be stopped. And uh, I think but, just a. I was going to say sorry, but the fact that like the film, you know, made it clear that you know, in the film's interpretation, you know, it wasn't the FBI who killed him, as it were, was mm. that. Was was it kind of difficult to kind of see the 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 this idea of you know people who essentially kind of share similar views on you know certain aspects actually kind of bringing down someone who was at one time close to them? Tug, what would yeah. you say? I would say that in I think I haven't really studied African American history at that level, so I've always come to it. Uh, so things like this as a spectator and um, it's kind of figures are kind of like saints and mm-hmm. we're like I'm okay and with Fred Hampton you can just close the book and it's but with this it is there's a little bit of like wait did they really do that to him like this guy was 
amazing. Like he was bringing, he was not just telling you that, that, you know, that you had segregation in the South. He said that in, in, you know, quote, in quotations, integrated places in the North, like things were worse or they were worse in different ways. And he was like, and he got everyone to talk about this, different media and stuff. And then members of the nation of Islam, the, the black freedom movement that he came out of, like killed him. Like it always, like, I never really understood it. And as someone who's never um, studied at a, at a high level, it's always been a sort of a tragedy to me, to be honest. If sort I can of- just fill in a bit of history there for that, that kind of scene that was done. Um, at first, I, I mean, it's Spike Lee. He opens with footage from the Rodney King beating. I definitely thought he was going to focus more on the FBI involvement um, as it is recorded history that there were FBI spies in the nation of Islam. Um, and by not focusing on that, I think it was a bit of a disservice mm-hmm. to what this messaging was. But as Moisa says, it was much more of a personal kind of vendetta between the people in the nation of Islam and Malcolm X specifically. Um, and I think the just like quote unquote justification for it in that way was that by him pulling away from the nation of Islam's message of they, they, they said that they had um, a number of points they would publish in uh their their newspaper or news outlet um the first three were freedom justice and equality and if we can't have those three then we want complete separation of the races and upon coming back from his hajj um malcolm x was advocating for more people embracing islam specifically because um it's a religion that displaces race from the conversation and it's a way to open dialogue between races in the US. And I think part of that personal vendetta that was definitely attributed to the kind of jealousy that was happening with the higher up members in the Nation of Islam was also this ideological kind of difference that they were no longer on the same page ideologically. Um, That's just my kind of interpretation of the history that's happening behind the film. And I think that could have probably been portrayed better to maybe not have a and a kind of uncomfortable narrative um, in portraying these were black gunmen who assassinated a black civil rights leader. Um, I think that could have been handled much more delicately, but that's just my own personal opinion. Is there any other points we kind of want to cover now? We're well past the hour at this point. Um, is there anything else we'd like to kind of touch upon before we, we finish up then? Nothing on Marxism, Vaughn, that you need to get out off your chest? I mean, I could go on and on about Marxist ideology beyond like kind of economics Marxism. And a lot of the ideas that were put forth, especially about women in the film, were this kind of mentality that can be attributed attributed to a lot of ideologies, but since I know Marxism the best of these, um, and I know that 
it was used in some of these kind of conversations in the 60s. The ideology comes from the, like the most powerful people in society are the ones who have power over the education of society being the ideologies that are training youth to be citizens. Um, I could go on and on about Marxism. We don't got to do that. Um, yeah, I think it's difficult because um, Islam is um, very traditional in many ways. I mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so those those situations are going to be portrayed and um, traditionally. I mean, it's, it's good in some ways. It has a sort of like, you know, it, it tries to think about um, men and how they function in society and you know, like good paths forward and like pride and things like that. But yeah, like it's not you know malcolm's life isn't is not going to be completely progressive you know mm -hmm. and um, the, the situations where he, he were in it was was in was were not going to be like completely progressive and these kind of conversations you know will, will be happening even within um the black community you know about um uh, patriarchy or Mm -hmm. the way religions promote um those those kinds of situations but i mean th i think those kind of conversations are for a different day and from for different figures mm -hmm. um the 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 great thing about malcolm is that he brought light to the to the black um experience in america um and um he opened doors for for many many different people i guess in, when the when he died originally it wasn't like he was this martyr it's a little bit like mlk but i think it was clearly mlk he was going to be remembered as a you know a great american figure but yeah with malcolm you know he was considered a radical a lot of his views weren't that uh, went really appreciate it wasn't really un until you know like you had the uh the la riots and the the coming of the generation that spike lee is really in the sort of um sort of late boomer gen x um african-americans who, who really started to appreciate a lot of the stuff that he was he was really uh really saying and that, and I think that's why it, it was. I think even when uh, originally they wanted a, a white director to make the movie, and there was um, outrage about it, and then Spike um, got got the call. Denzel was originally attached to it, and then he kept Denzel, and you know they 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 made the movie. But they you know they had a they had a difficult project to, because it's this you know it's this characters it's so linked to african-american pride in the 60s and it was a really difficult project to really put together and it, and I, I think it shows you really these actors at the top level like they do you know they do some wonderful things and they t take on really tough uh tough projects like this is one of those things like, you know you you watch an Adam Sandler movie and it's like, <laughs> like this, they're, they're the profession is really stupid. And, you know, a lot of movies have been coming out recently, but this stuff right here, this is like, you know, I mean, I think Ebert said it was the one of the top 10 movies of the nineties. And I can, I can see why it's, it's, it's a, a tremendous, tremendous movie and tremendous biography. I think that's probably a nice place to leave it. Um, 
Vaughn, Toby, Moises, uh, thank you very much for joining me and uh, for uh, having such uh, such interesting insights into the film. It was certainly one I enjoyed, and I imagine any of our listeners who have made it this far, I certainly hope they've already watched the film. Otherwise, uh, they've uh, probably had some of it spoiled for them. But even if even if you are listening and you haven't uh, watched the film yet, I think we can all kind of agree that it's it's well worth your time to spend three and a half hours, even if you can't make it in one sitting. Um, from from Vaughn, from Toby, uh, and from Moises, uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we'll have an, another episode for you in the near future. Uh, take care and see you then. Bye. 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 Bye.